0: is how do you do that? How do you go? And the next three weeks I'll be sharing some different tips, um, different Bible passages and how people went to tell people, to warn people, uh, to tell them about Jesus Christ. So I got a few questions for you. First, is every Christian called to be a missionary? What would you say about that? Do you have to go overseas to be a missionary? No. No, you could be a missionary at your school. At, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. Sometimes God calls people to go overseas to Africa or wherever, some weird place. But sometimes God calls people to stay where they're at, where you've been raised. God has called all of us, put us all on a mission. In fact, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia, which means ek, out, kaleo kle, is called. We are the called out ones. We're called out from the world. And we're called to something. So you could start right where you're at being a missionary. You don't have to go somewhere else to be a missionary. Matthew 28 says, we are called to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, but I ain't very smart. How do I engage culture? How do I talk with my non-Christian coworker about accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. I struggle with that. Anybody else struggle with that in here? That's hard for me to do. We're going to talk about that this morning. Or I have no idea how to do this in the day-to-day. Please help. So I want to get you excited about sharing your story of what the Lord's done. And Mark 5, verse 1 through 20 is a story of a man. This is a man who was broken, who was hurting, and God took, Jesus took this man and did something extraordinary in his life. Verse 1 says this They went across to the lake, they went across the lake to the region of the Garrisones. Now, I gotta stop right there. I wanna get you guys in the story a little bit. I want you guys to picture yourself as I'm telling the story, either. Picture yourself as a disciple watching Jesus have this interaction, or maybe picture yourself as the man in the story who Jesus is about to meet. And I want you to understand the land. This is a picture of the Gerasenes a little bit, and it is, a, it is on the um, east, southeast side of the Galilee. Now, it is a steep hill. It's not a cliff like the cliffs of Dover, but it is a steep hill that runs down into the Sea of Galilee. Now you need to understand Jewish culture. Jewish people don't like being in the deep water. When I was in Israel, you would see fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee in the middle or and party boats in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. We knew they're Jordanian because the Jewish people stay around shore to fish. They don't go across into the deep to fish because they believe that the depths of the ocean, the depths of water The abyss is where evil comes from. That is in their culture. So they, when Jesus tells them to cross to the other side, either they're going to go around the shore across the other side, but if they cut across, there is a lot of fear in their eyes. So you're probably thinking of some stories where they thought they saw Jesus as a ghost in that. They don't go in the deep because that's where evil lies, is in the deep. Now they're going to Gergesa. And this is a place of uncleanliness. This is a dirty place. This is a place of Gentiles. This is a place of unclean pigs. There is a um, farmers who are farming pigs, thousands of pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, Jewish people don't eat pork. All right, They don't touch the stuff. It is unclean. The Gentiles are seen as unclean. If they were to go and hang out with the Gentiles... They could not go back and do temple worship until they got ceremonially cleaned. This was a dirty, nasty place for Gentiles to be, not for Jewish people to be. This was the Decapolis. This is one of the ten cities that are owned or ruled by the Romans. In fact, one of the citadels of the Romans had a flag with a boar's head on it that they had found there. And this boar's head was just to taunt the Jewish people. Rumor has it. So this is a place of defilement. This was a place for pagans. Jesus does something very interesting here. Up until then, the Jewish people and would focus on Jerusalem. And if you wanted to come to know the Lord, you would come to the temple. And they didn't do any evangelism back in the day. What they did is they worshiped God, and they said, if you want to come as a Gentile, you come and join us. Jesus is turning the arrow around. That was cool. I think I'm dead now. Am I? Oh, good. Okay. Getting a lot of stat feedback. Um, Jesus is turning the arrow around from come to Jerusalem to let's go out And engage culture. Let's go out to the Gentiles and engage the world. That's what Jesus is doing. So, verse 2 When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the iron on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. In Luke it says the man was naked. Matthew briefly describes two men in the story, whether they were there's probably two men in the story. It seems that uh, Mark is focusing on the one man who Jesus had interaction with. Maybe the other man ran off. I, we don't know. But we do know that at some point there were two violent, demon-possessed men. But we're going to focus on the one in Mark as Mark does this morning. Now stop and think of this man. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. How did he feel? How would you feel if you were a crazy, demon-possessed guy and you were alone? Imagine the pain, the suffering he dealt with. He was violent, very strong, very angry. A friend of mine, Phil, had a brother who was handicapped, and this brother was demon-possessed. And um, this brother, his name was Kevin, he was about seven years old, and he would actually walk around like this. And his here's his voice it was kind of, hi, Phil. It was he was very. Very weak. He could not stand up straight. And one day, Phil uh, was babysitting him, and his brother just started acting nuts, started acting crazy. So Phil grabbed him and said, Kevin, what are you doing? And Kevin stood straight up. He goes, nothing, Phil. And his voice was deep, and he went wild, and they tried to control him, and he had this supernatural rage and strength. So I said to Phil, I said, Phil, what would you do? He goes, well, I took him over my knee, and I spanked him. I said, Satan, come out of him. I said, well, that's not that's a biblical way to handle that. But nonetheless, this, even this kid I know, Kevin, when the demons took over, he was filled with power. His voice deepened. It got stronger. And he had strength that was amazing. This man here had strength that was amazing, that was uncontrollable. Not only that, the man was no doubt an outcast. The Gentiles were dirty. This man was the dirty of the dirtiest. He was despised. He was rejected, and for good reason. He was abandoned. You ever felt abandoned before? Can you relate? He was alone, homeless, no identity. His identity was the crazy demon-possessed guy. He had no dignity. He was exposed, hopeless, unclean, unloved. He was a cutter, crying out day and night. Do you know what the word for his type of crying out was in the Greek? I love this word. krazo. Anybody know what we get from that word? He was a little crazy. Kraso it means to cry loudly, to croak like a frog. He was in such misery in his condition that he cried out day and night out of control, a lost cause. When he saw Jesus, what do you think he did? Verse 6 says this. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran. Now, why do you think he ran to Jesus? It says he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Some commentators say he came to worship Jesus. Some say he came for help. Maybe he came for both. Maybe he came for a different. I don't know. But all I know is when the king of kings came onto shore in that dirty land, this man ran to Jesus. Now, there's no evidence in any commentary, any scripture, that he would have known who Jesus was. Up until this point, Jesus had not been to that side of the Galilee. But somehow, this man, or rather the demons, knew exactly who this person was stepping on shore. They knew his power. His power. His ability. Verse 7. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. Basically, this demon at this point who's taking control of this man is calling him son of the most high. He is claiming Jesus' deity even right there. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Notice the person change in there, from I, me, to we. Kind of reminds me of, I, I can't help it, I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Anyway, Lord of the Rings fan in here. I get trekking with Gollum in this story. I think that's what uh, uh, the author, whoever the author, Tolkien was it, I think that's what he, he was uh, using as an example there. But this guy goes, we are many. We are Legion. A Legion is about three to 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's a lot of evil spirits in this one man, a lot of baggage, a lot of issues that this man had to go through. Verse 10, he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the near, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. First thing I notice here in in these couple verses, God is in control. The spirits asked Jesus for permission to go into the pigs. They'd rather go into the pigs than go and be tortured before the appointed time. Someone asked, why didn't um, Jesus just destroy the demons? It's not time yet for that. Do you know that there's a day coming when Satan and his angels are going to be at the lake of fire, will not be impacting this world any longer? And I say amen to that. I'm excited because I have seen so many lives destroyed by his workings. I am so excited for him to be in that point, but that's not the time for this yet. Anybody a farmer in here? Anyone have animals? Anybody have animals in here? 2,000 pigs, is that a big herd? That's a huge herd. 2,000 pigs dead. Do you think that would have ticked off the farmers at all? (laughs) Do you think that would have ruined maybe someone's livelihood a little bit? The demons went right to the abyss, if you notice. They ran right to where all evil goes, right down that hillside that was in the other picture, and right into the water in order to get away from Jesus. Now, the man, he was finally free, free from at least around 2,000 evil spirits. How would you feel if you were set free from that much baggage, if Jesus came into your life and set you free from all your baggage in your life? Where are you at? Can you relate to this man at all so far in this story? Not, maybe not that you're demon-possessed, but can you sense, can you relate to the struggle, to the burdens that he's carrying? You ever carried baggage? You could probably relate with this man a little bit more now. Jesus has the power to heal even the wickedest, craziest of troubled souls. I don't know where you're at, but Jesus has the power to take your burdens. Would you run to him and let him take your burdens and free you from those burdens as well? Run to him. Cry out. Get a little bit crazy. Jesus, help me. You have the power to do so. He can heal violent, angry, destructive, wild people. He could set them in the right mind. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, God gave him the spirit of kind of like an animal. He kind of went crazy for a while. And when he finally came to the Lord and repented, said, God, you are the Lord. Basically, when he acknowledged his lordship, God put his mind back in order. God God can take your mind and set your mind back in order. He has the power to do so. He has the power even to change your perspective, even on a situation that you face. He can take an outcast, a reject, an abandoned person and restore them. He can take someone who cuts themselves and restore them. He can restore dignity, give anyone a story. He can ransom anybody who's held captive. By Satan, or how captive by their sin, or how captive by their mind. He can take your baggage and restore you. Would you run to him? Now, what has he freed you from? He freed this demon-possessed guy of these spirits. What has he freed you from? I know that in Christ, hell is canceled, and heaven is gained forever and ever. He has brought you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We know he's already done that. He has brought you into a adopt- an adoptive relationship with himself. He is your good, good father. He has brought hope to the hopeless, hasn't he? He has brought life out of death, emptiness to peace, loneliness to companionship. Maybe you were purposeless. He's given you purpose. Were you an addict? He has freed you or made you dependent upon him who is good. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Now, what do you assume the response was to the healing power of Jesus? No doubt this man was a nuisance. He was loud. Anybody have fireworks crazy neighbors right now? Our dog is afraid of fireworks and was hiding underneath Benjamin's bed the other night. Our dog is this high-strung, pacing around the house. What's going on? What's blowing up? And our neighbors last night And I had some fireworks at home. I'm thinking about early in the morning, lighting them off. (laughs) Let's get their night out. Our neighbors last night, about 11.30, were still blowing off fireworks. And I'm thinking, doing telekinesis in my brain. Go to bed. (laughs) But they kept on trucking. And uh, no doubt this demon-possessed man was loud. And probably I could just see the Gentile people laying in their beds. Well he just shut up? (laughs) Uh, What do you assume the response was to this man finally free? Good riddance. Now I can sleep at night. Yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe he was like a bully in the neighborhood. Um, when I was in high school, there was a bully named Dave Wetzel, and he was a nuisance to me, violent guy. And this story reminds me of him. I would go into the locker room after gym class, or uh, even after football or wrestling. And Dave Wetzel was about three twenty, big guy, and I was a buck fifty back then. But I was strong. <laughs> no. Um, he, Dave Wetzel would come in the locker room, and I would go in this locker room, I would look around, is Dave in here? And he would often come around the corner, boom, put his arm up against the lockers, hey Jeff, bam, and he'd just nail me. And it was kind of frustrating. And he used to do it day in, and day out, and day in, all the time. And I would just, I loved it when Dave Wetzel wasn't at school, because I could go in peace. This demon-possessed man, no doubt, was a nuisance. They had to keep locking him up to keep him away. One day I uh, shared and confronted Dave Wetzel. And uh, I'll tell you more later if you want, but we restored our relationship, let's put it that way. And Dave Wetzel and I became friends. And that was a miracle. (laughs) And um, I was glad he was finally in his right mind, at least with me. (laughs) And this demon-possessed man, I'm sure the people seeing the man sitting there normal for the first time, that was a big deal to them. So what do you think the response was? Verse 17. Then the people begged, began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And I thought, why? Here is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, coming to your land. And what do you say? to Can you please leave? Why would you say that? And I thought, maybe the farmers led that charge. They thought, you just ruined our lives. Get out of here. You know, something like that. Maybe they were afraid, filled with fear of, this man is powerful. I can't handle This Jesus being in my life, he may mess up my life. Or they might have thought, I'm pretty content with my demons and my uncleanliness. I don't need someone, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm set in life. I don't need someone upsetting my apple cart in life. Perhaps they thought that as well. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, and I want to stop here. They said, Jesus, can you please leave? We don't want you here. And what did Jesus do? He didn't fight him on it. He said, okay, if you don't want me. I'm out of here. So Jesus, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Wouldn't you, if Jesus was around here today, wouldn't you beg to go with him, to be close to him? Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home, this is very important here to the message this morning, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The man begged to go with Jesus. I asked a guy once, what is worship? And he said, worship is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I thought, that's good. I like that anymore to the definition. How about this? Worship is living your life as a worship service to the glory of God. Jesus is not here to sit at his feet right now. Uh, Physically, he can't. What do we do? How do we worship him? How do we glorify him in our lives? We do what he has commanded us to do, and that is to go and to make disciples of all nations. It is to worship God by telling of his wonderful works. Open up to Revelation 12, verse 11, if you would, quickly, please. Revelation 12, verse 11. This man went and told his story. He went back, it says here in the passage, and told the people, I was possessed, but Jesus set me free. Maybe in your life, I was an addict, but Jesus set me free. Or I was X, but Jesus set me free. Let me show you a picture up here. This is a picture in the Gerasenes that we are hiking, a picture that I took. What did, the Jesus, what did the man do? The Bible stops with this story here. But history continues the story. This is the village he was from. And this is our leader. His name's Marty. Archeo- archaeologists recently uncovered this picture. It is a picture of a... It's a stone marble cross. This community became a Christian community. Many Christian groups started spurring up in the Decapolis. Did the man go and tell his story? Scripture says yes. What does history say? Yes. This man went and he told his story. And his city, his town was impacted for Christ. And people, because of the power of his testimony, came to Christ and are, began to follow him, and they will be in heaven with you and I someday sharing the awesome work that God has done. But let me read Revelation 12, verse 11. It says this. They triumphed over him, over the dragon, by the blood of the lamb. Victory over, over him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of, of their testimony. What is a testimony? It is a story. It's a story of what God has done for you. That's the word testimony. So this morning I want to focus on your testimony. What has God done for you? Jesus told the man to go home and tell them how much the Lord had done for him and how he had each Oh, that's misspelling there. He told him to go home and tell people, and the man did it. How are you at telling people what the Lord has done for you? How are you at sharing the story of his work in your life? Do you keep track and share of how much the Lord has richly blessed you? We have something in our household called a book of praise. And I was reading this for devotions one day, this passage, and I was also reading Psalm 103. And this is a book that we keep in our living room for people to look at. This is a book full of stories of how God has been so good to us. And it's not the general stories like we're alive today, but it's very specific stories. Let me share with you a couple stories of what God's done in our lives. There was one time where uh, Shelly and I were struggling a lot financially, and our van broke down. In fact... I think it was was it the van where the transmission engine went out the exact same time? I think it was. I think because we had an, anyhow. So I'm, we're driving this minivan. Our, we had an Astro van, and we're driving home from uh, somewhere, and the engine and tranny went out at the exact same time. And fortunately, I was able to muddle it along, along, going like 20 miles an hour into a junkyard, and we took our 50 bucks and off we went. We were rich, <laughs> and we started praying, Lord, we need a van because we used it for youth group and we used it for our family. Lord, we don't have the funds. Can you please provide us with the van? Well, within a day, my dad calls me on the phone and we didn't tell anybody that we were praying for this. And my dad said, hey, Jeff, can you use a van? And I said, "Uh, yeah, why? He said, well, here's a story. Uh, My friend Joe, and they're in Chicagoland. My friend Joe, Joe's not a Christian. uh, My friend Joe said to me, uh, he was driving one day and they're thinking about selling their minivan, and this thought popped in his head, and he felt it was from God. Give the van to Jeff and Shelly, to Ron's kids, and um, so he goes home, and he walks in the door, and he says to his wife, hey, and she stops him, and she goes, you know what? I was thinking, I think we ought to give this van to Ron's kids. Can you call them and see if they want it? So my dad calls me, and can you use the van? Yes, we can. (laughs) We've already prayed about this. So the Lord provided us with the van. Then around that time, uh, my shoes went bad. And we were, like I said, struggling financially. I said, Lord, I would love a pair of gym shoes. Um, I'll be very specific here. I want a pair of white cross trainers, either New Balance or Nike's fine, Lord, whatever you want to do. I got real specific. And uh, maybe that's picky. I don't know. But, so we go to our friend's house one night, and obviously I'm not going to mention to somebody I need new shoes because I don't want to seem like a putz. But we're at our friend's house playing games, and my friend Orly goes, hey, what size shoe do you wear? I said like 10 and a half, 11, I don't know. And he goes, I'll be right back. He goes in his basement, and he brings up a pair of white New Balance cross-trainer shoes. Isn't that cool? I'm like, all right, that is putting the Lord to the test there. That is so specific. You can't just make this stuff up. So, If you want to come over sometime and read this book, these are stories upon stories of how God has been faithful to his children. I'm sure you got story upon story of how God's been faithful. Write that down. Write that stuff down. One thing we are bad at as Christians, we are terrible at sharing our story. Probably because we don't want to seem like a bragger. You know, Joseph in the Bible, uh, he's talking about how God gave him these dreams. We don't want to seem like a bragger. We want to seem modest. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, let him who boasts, if you want to boast, boast in the Lord. God is so good. Not that I'm something, but that he's something special. Boast about what he has done. Get it in a book. Even better, share the story with your neighbors and your coworkers, how God has been great to you on the day-to-day. Do you share what the Lord has done? Do you boast about how good God has been to you? Another reason why I don't think we share is because I think we're spoiled. We forget that God owes us nothing. When God gives us something, we just expect, yeah, he should do that. I'm his child. I'm not as bad as this guy over here. He should bless me. I think we get spoiled sometimes, don't we? God owes us nothing. However, God has been very generous to us. So we keep this book... And one thing I've uh, started to do is to share with coworkers my work that I care. I would share if God did something awesome. I don't care if they were a Christian or if they were a non-Christian. As I had the opportunity, I would share, man, guys, you won't believe this thing that happened. I would be very specific and say, man, God is so good. Do you know what? That did not repel my coworkers. What that did to all my coworkers, I had 13 plus three doctors, 16 people. They were intrigued. You mean God's alive? Because for all they know, God doesn't really exist or do anything anymore. But when they heard the story, that gave them hope that maybe God is alive. Maybe he is doing stuff. So share your story. Share it boldly with people. George Bush, W. Bush. I don't know if you like him or not. I have one big problem with George Bush when he did the Iraq War. I don't know if he should have gotten into it. I don't want to get into that right now. But one thing I noticed George W. Bush did terribly wrong was that he never shared the good things that were happening in Iraq. He never shared that we were starting schools, that we were setting up an infrastructure. He would share nothing. I don't know if you want to be modest or whatever, but because he didn't share, all you heard in the news was this soldier died today, this soldier died today, this soldier died today. And while that's terrible, how much better it would have been for him, even tactically, to share, hey, there's some tough stuff going on in Iraq, but here is some good stuff that's going on here's what the american people here's what the american military is doing that's good over there i've seen videos of soldiers holding babies caring for people hugging people giving money giving food giving water to people but you didn't see that very often he was bad at sharing his story so how do you engage your culture today in your workplace where god has called you how do you share your story uh, if you go ahead in the next slide here's some thoughts uh, that i had today's culture, some ways to engage it. And I think there's room in your bulletin to take notes if you like. First, be praying. Pray for your culture. Pray for your coworkers. What I do is I pray, Lord, who do you want me to share with this week at work? Lord, who do you want me to tell the story, your story, or share the gospel with? And I start praying. And God in prayer, will often bring someone to mind. There was one time where I would go out studying at coffee shops and I would pray, Lord, I am open to sharing Jesus with someone. Bring him my way. And every time I prayed that for a good year um, of of time, someone would come up to me and start a conversation where I could start to talk about Jesus and focus on him. Second, be Jesus-focused. Don't talk about Election and predestined, and all this, all these weird Bible things and these side issues. Keep your focus on Jesus. Tell what Jesus has done, just like this man. Here is what the Lord has done for me. Focus on Jesus. People are going to focus on Christians and how they've been abused in church and they've been hurt. And you say to them, Me too, I've been hurt in church as well. It's a tough place to be, but God has called us together because we're here to focus on jesus and it's not the christians you focus on it's jesus is who you focus on i think it was a dalai lama said the reason why he didn't follow christ is because it was jesus he loves but the christians that he couldn't stand and i thought to myself that's lousy dalai lama (laughs) your focus is not on christians your focus is on jesus you decide if you want to follow him. You don't follow Christians. We're broken people. I hope you don't follow me because I might lead you into some rabbit trail somewhere. If I could say something to Dalai Lama it would be focus on Jesus. He is the one that we focus on. So be Christ, be Jesus centered when you talk to people. Don't let them keep you on rabbit trails. Even the woman at the well, Jesus brought the conversation back to himself. Third, be caring about the person, love the person. Sometimes you could share right off the bat. I'm one who loves to just share the gospel with a stranger. I like to do that. Um, Most people don't like to do that, and that's okay. I'm just wired differently. But be caring. Be loving to the person. Do good works. Let them see your good works that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Do stuff that's very caring. My friend Rich, I was at an antique store yesterday, and I saw an old Star Wars. He collects Star Wars things. Saw an old lunchbox thermos from 1977. I gotta get that for rich because I wanna have a little bit of a light and do a good work for him so that he would be open to Jesus just a little bit more. So be caring for a person. Four, share as you can. If there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus or to even work a conversation in talking about how God has been awesome to you or Jesus, share as you can as, as you're able to. In my eye care place, I probably did about once a week, maybe two, three times a week, I wouldn't share and like close the deal and all that, but I would at least start talking about the Lord and talk about Jesus in some manner. I just love bringing him up as opportunity arose. And fifth, invite them. The next couple weeks, we're gonna give you some more creative ways in which to reach your neighbors, coworkers, and such, but invite them. Once again, at where I worked, I found most people there had gone to church at some point point were hurt by the church. I found that out. But I also found out that if someone would invite them to church, they were very open to going to church. I didn't know that until I asked. And I had, see, Dr. Moreland, he started going to church. Uh, he wasn't going to church. We had Kim. We had five people. Well, three people started to slowly attend the church we were going to. But people, just because I asked them to attend church, they were much more open Uh, to start attending church. Sometimes you just got to invite them. Just invite them to be a part, you know, see what other Christians are doing and hear God's word. They might be open to doing that. So, when you share your story, here's kind of a framework that you can use. A basic story structure. First, what was life like before you were ransomed by the Lord, before he brought you into his family? For the demon-possessed guy, What was life like for him? He was a hot mess, wasn't he? I'm sure if you were to ask him this question, he would go on and on and on. Man, I was possessed. I was alone. I was cutting. I was angry. I was. What was life for you before you knew Christ? Now, anybody in here except Christ real young, you're like, I don't know. There was no life. You're not off the hook. (laughs) You guys have a very powerful testimony. I was self-righteous. I thought I was a good person. I was totally deceived before God broke in and showed me I wasn't as good as I thought I was, right? You have a powerful testimony. Don't think your testimony is lame because you didn't get hit by a train or something. When I was in, I went to Moody and I was in evangelism class. And up until that point, I never heard a thing about sharing your faith. Our church never taught sharing your faith. And I had to get up there and share my testimony. I barely knew what the word meant. And I get up there, and I share my testimony, and the teacher goes, Did anything big ever happened in your life? Have you ever been hit by a train or anything? And I sarcastically said, yeah, I was hit by a train. He goes, great, put that in there. And the same teacher told my friend to lie because his testimony was so lame. And I thought, what is this guy doing? Lie as a Christian one? So, anyhow, I didn't kick him out of school. He was 10 years, he was okay. Um, but he's like, "Make something, make it interesting. I'm like, no, don't you understand? Someone who's accepted Christ young... They were saved from immense amounts of pride and self-righteousness. God showed them, you need saving. You ain't as good as you think you are. That person that you think's bad and you're better than them, you're just as bad as that person. That is a powerful testimony. That is hard to break through pride and self-righteousness. So you got a huge story. What was life like before you were ransomed? If you want to tune me out at this point and start writing that down, go for it right now. Second, How did Jesus meet you? What was the circumstance where Jesus met you? What was going on? Were you at a camp? Were you alone? I was alone in bed at the time. And I had Jesus actually, I was so dense headed. Jesus had to give me a vision in order for me to accept him as Savior. Up until then, any Sunday school teacher, anything, it was bouncing right off the stick head. So he had to be very bold in meeting me alone in my room one night. How did Jesus meet you? What happened? Third, what has been different since you've met Jesus? What's the change? This demon-possessed man would have no doubt had a world of change. If anything, you are now going to heaven forever, and you have the freedom that your sin has been forgiven, and you are at peace with God. If anything, that is huge stuff. So what has been different? Since you accepted the Lord, what's changed? This morning, I asked Rod if he'd come and share his story of what the Lord has done in his life. But I want to encourage you, as he's coming up, come on up, Rod. You ready for it? I told him he has one minute to share. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This week, I got a homework assignment for you. Um, On the back of your bulletin, it has these questions up here. Take some time and fill it out and just start praying, Lord, who do you want me to share my story with? And God will bring someone up and then you be bold and say, hey, can I share what God has done in my life and share with them? You may be surprised at how positive of an impact it has on that person. Okay, Rod? Yep. Yep.
1: Like before you were ransomed, you know, I've I've been in the Lord now for a little over 31 years. Uh, I've been clean and sober for 31 years, nine months and three days, but who's counting? <laughs> you know, but uh, my life was pretty miserable before I came to Christ, and uh, I was I was raised in a home that was uh, my parents were drunks. I lived in a lot of domestic violence. I. Uh, lived in a lot of emotional abuse and, you know, that that disgusted me, disgusted me towards alcohol, drugs, but yet I started drinking when I was 13, I started using drugs in high school. By the time I was 31, I was a full-blown alcoholic and I was a functioning alcoholic, I held a job and, uh, but my life was miserable, extremely miserable. This is hard to cut to five minutes, but I'll do it, Jay. I'll try. Go 10? Okay. Well, you know, six? Okay. But, uh, you know, my, my life was miserable, and, and I, had, I had tried to quit drinking 100 times because, in all honesty, I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted my life to be different. But instead, I was a drunk and I was an addict and I was a lousy husband and even a worse father. And I was miserable. And maybe I didn't sit in the backyard and scream out, but I screamed out in my heart. And uh, to condense this the best way I can, I started going to AA because I really felt they could help. And I was serious. I was very serious about my life being different. I had no desire to be in church. I'd never been in church in my life, and I didn't see any use for that but I wanted my life to be different. And the first step in AA is to, to know you're powerless against alcohol, and I knew that. I'd known that for a long time. Second step was realize there is a power higher than yourself, and, and I, I, really knew, I really felt that. I had no idea what this power was. I believed in a God. But the third step of AA, because I took these things serious, third step of AA was to, to give your life and will over the care of God as you understand him. How do you understand God? You know, and I was I was floored in that. I was stumped. I couldn't go any further really. I was clean. I was I, at this point in my life. It was April of 1985, and and I I had been clean and sober for seven months, and my whole life fell completely apart. And our marriage was over. My life was really over. And I was desperate. I was really desperate. And I remember one night, I was sitting in my living room, and I was really contemplating ending it. It was one, one of the few times in my life I really, really was in despair enough not to want to live. And I remembered I had a Bible in the closet. Several years before that, our son Lance had been in a hospital, and, and I'd made a pact with God. It says, you know, if you heal Lance, I'm going to start going to church, and I'm going to quit drinking. And he healed Lance, and I, I forgot all about our bargain, you know. It didn't take long. But I picked this Bible up, and I began to turn in it. I opened the page, and it made no sense. And I said, God, if you're real, show me. I remember a few days before that, I looked in the mirror as I walked by, and I said, why can't somebody love me? Because that, honestly, that's all I ever wanted, was why can't somebody love me? So I pulled another page, and, and I flipped further back, and, and I read it, and it made no sense. And suddenly, the only thing in the Bible I'd ever heard about was the 23rd Psalm. And I turned to the 23rd Psalm, and I read it out loud. Now, I'm kind of like Jeff in this way. It took a vision for him. It took an experience for me. I was hard-headed, and, and, and the, oh, my. But as I read that out loud... There was really the room become almost flooded with light. I began to tremble. I began to cry. But I felt the love of God for the first time in my life. And it melted me. It literally melted me. I, I shook and I shook and I shook. And I remember the next morning waking up and thinking, man, what was that? I remember I'd, I'd shared it with Leanne, and she thought, this is great. He's finally gone nuts. I've finally driven him crazy. I'm finally getting even with all these years, you know. But I knew God was real, and I knew that he loved me. And so this was in April, and I was kind of on this, this desert. Fortunately, it didn't last 40 years. It only lasted three months. And I walked into a little little country church, and... and uh, First sermon in my life I ever heard was Romans 7, 15 through 25. The good I want to do isn't what I do instead said the evil. I don't want to do this. I keep on doing. My eyeballs were this being around. And, and, and it, it was in July of, of 85, and I, that's, you know, 31 years ago. And I gave my life to Christ. And, oh, my, my life was turned inside out. He didn't restore my marriage. He gave me a new marriage. In this last year from, from you know our marriage was over in 1985 and and last february we celebrated 40 years and that's only to the glory of god and his grace and mercy but that's what god can do but he began he began to change the way i think he began to think my desires became his desires and and he's been working on me for 31 years and he's still got a long way to go but i've come a long way too and i remember I was so excited to share what I had. Because when I was in, in, in the midst of my debauchery, I liked to share what I had. And that was counterfeit. But this was the real thing. And I had opportunities to go in the local jail. I had opportunities. I mean, literally, we got to see our family members come to Christ. We got to see friends. We got, and we shared with everyone we saw. And life was exciting. And then time went on. And things got complacent and and I remember I was in two thousand and nine, I came to a crossroad in my life, and at that point i had I had uh, at a at a different church I had been preaching most Sunday mornings. I was very complacent, I was very uh, satisfied with where I was in the Lord and some things happened and, and Leanne and I got our hearts broken. And and I can remember thinking, God, what do you want from me? I want to serve you. I want to be able to see lives change. And it was that point in my life that that the Lord really said, finally, it's about time, you know. And and the first thing I did was get a hold of Dan Taylor, who was the executive director of Trinity Mission at that time. I said, Dan, I want to help. I want to help those who are coming out of addiction. And he put me to work right away. And, and on Friday mornings, I get a share with the guys at Trinity, and I love that. And then I called Kevin Parker at Celebrate Recovery, and I said, Kevin, I want to become involved with this ministry. And he says, boy, we can use you. And the thing was is that I went there thinking I could share, but what I get is just so amazing. The, seeing lives change, seeing people come out of the darkness into the light is so exciting. And, and now for the last four or five years, I've been involved with the jail ministry, part of Celebrate Recovery. And, and it's just amazing because now I have the opportunity to literally share with hundreds a year. But the thing is, it's nothing about me because I was a drunk and I was an addict. But it's all about God and his glory because the only reason I can share is because what he's done in my life. Because I wake up every morning, I literally am thankful for his grace and mercy. Because what I deserved was death. And I know that every minute. And anything that's good in my life is because of him. Because I destroyed my life. And I really want, I, Jeff, I love that you're with us now. I love that you're going to encourage us. Because I really believe, and this is this is me talking to you guys, is one thing I think we miss here is new life. And we really need to to reach into our communities, and uh, I just want to encourage you with that. Jeff, I love it that you talk about our stories because our testimony, we all have the same testimony, and that's 2,000 years ago on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ died and took our sins upon himself. Thanks, Jeff.
0: As I was up here thinking, um, if there's any shepherds, are there any shepherds here this morning? The shepherd team, if you could come forward, if you would. I got thinking, do you have a story? If you're, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't, never met Jesus, I, I don't know who Jesus, I, I don't have any relationship with him. Today's a great day. If you are at a place like that man where you're hurting, and you, you're hearing about Jesus, and you're thinking, I just need to run to him. And I need his help. I need him to save me, to rescue me, so that I can be forgiven of my sin and so I can be helped in this life as well. If that's you, if you don't have that story yet, after we close, we're going to sing. Shepherds, you can have a seat for right now. It's going to be a few minutes. After we sing, um, think about that. If you would like to come forward, some of the shepherd team's here. I'm here as well. Um, And Alex is here. Alex, you come on forward too. youth leader. Um, if you would like a story today, we'll be happy to pray with you and just work through your thoughts and things that you have. And if you do have a story, would you share that with someone? Don't keep that light hidden under a bushel. No, let it shine. You know that song. Let that light shine. Share with, with people. Here's what the Lord has been doing in my life. Here is what he's doing. Would you do that this week? Let's pray together and I'll have the worship team come up and let's praise him for what he has done in our life. Let's pray together.